Before we get started, I'd just like to announce that we are now accepting applications for the Analyst Training Program. It took a little bit longer than we anticipated to get everything ready because we have been working on moving as much of the application process as possible online to make it more convenient for people who are applying. One significant change that we're making is that even when it's safe to move to in-person classes, the analyst training program will work on a hybrid model where five out of the nine training weekends during a given training year will be online. Um, this is to reduce travel expenses and to make it easier for people to fit analytic training uh, into their lives. So if you'd like to learn more about the program and perhaps to apply, just go to youngchicago.org slash ATP, or click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks. Welcome to the Young Anthology Podcast from the C.G. Young Institute of Chicago. The Discipline to Stay with the Symbol, interview with Director of Training Warren Sibilla. In this episode, Patricia Martin interviews Warren W. Sibilla Jr., Jungian psychoanalyst and the new Director of Training for the C.G. Young Institute of Chicago's Analyst Training Program. How does someone know they are ready for training? What is the process of development in training like? What does Jungian analysis and study bring to someone's life and practice? Dr. Sibylla is an athlete who competes in endurance sports like the Ironman and Spartan Obstacle Race. How has this discipline manifested in Dr. Sibylla's own analytic practice? Does that lead to a particular framing about the practice of psychology and analysis? Warren Sibylla Jr., PhD, is a diplomate Jungian psychoanalyst with a clinical practice in Chicago, Illinois and South Bend, Indiana. Dr. Sibylla served as the director of the clinical training program at the Institute and is the incoming director of training. He is engaged in the study and practice of Zen Buddhism, including authoring a book on the relationship between Zen Buddhism and analytical psychology, as well as a paper formally exploring Jung's 1958 dialogue with Japanese Zen master and philosopher Hisamatsu. He is the author of My Journey to Ironman Endurance Sports as a Means to Individuation. Dr. Sibylla teaches in the master's and doctoral programs at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and the Institute for Clinical Social Work and facilitates silent contemplative retreats at Gilchrist Retreat Center in Michigan. Before we get to the interview, I just want to read a submission from a listener. Joshua from Santa Inez, California says, I am a recently licensed marriage and family therapist on paternity leave and taking small steps to develop a private practice. I've been practicing as a therapist since 2014 and spent the latter half of my 20s and 30s attending Fuller Theological Seminary and working for a local coffee roaster in Pasadena, California. I grew up in Western North Carolina and returned there in 2015 to reconnect with the soil, parentheses, soul of my ancestors. But I left again to make a third cross-country move to work in a treatment center for eating disorders located in Santa Barbara. Several of my colleagues were attending Pacifica, and I had a previous therapist from Pacifica. 
through these dear people, I became invigorated by conversations about depth psychology and Jung. I sought out a Jungian analyst in 2019 and have been working with her ever since. I stumbled onto this podcast when looking to fill my podcast and audiobook queue for my commute to work. I first heard Robert Moore's lecture, Mythology of the Great Self Within, about a year ago. I was hooked. I purchased that series from you all and never miss a podcast. My plan is to attend a Jungian Institute in the nearest future to pursue training and certification as a Jungian analyst in, condu- in conjunction with my personal path towards differentiation and conscious living. I love what I get to do as a therapist, partner, parent, and just as a human member of a universal ecosystem. I appreciate that this podcast clarifies, enhances, and deepens my psychological experiences and relationships. If you'd like to share something about yourself, just click the link in the show notes. You can support this free podcast by making a donation, becoming a member of the Institute, or making a purchase in our online store. Your support enables us to provide free and low-cost educational resources to all. So now here's the interview. Hello, and welcome to Jungi Anthology the podcast of the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. I'm Patricia Martin, and I'll be your host today. I'm a professional affiliate at the Institute, and today I'm speaking with Warren Sibylla, Jr., a Ph.D. and a clinical psychologist and diplomat, Jungian psychoanalyst, who practices in South Bend, Indiana, and Chicago, and now is the director of the Analyst Training Program. He's also a proud foster parent of rescued dogs. Warren is here today to discuss what it means to choose the path to become a Jungian analyst and the difference it makes professionally and, of course, personally. Welcome, Warren. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, it's our pleasure. And first of all, I'm so curious because I've always wondered this, and I think you're just the right person to ask. I see marathoners, I see these long distance runners, and I wonder all that time out there running or doing an Ironman, what is going through a person's head? (laughs) Yeah, well, it depends. Um, But uh, I found that uh, at its best, it's a meditation. Really? And um, the way to survive uh, and, and in fact, thrive is to see it as a, a long meditation. If you stayed uh, only focused on the body or the pain, then of course uh, it, it becomes very limiting. But if you see it as a relationship with the spirit and uh, a meditation, then uh, much more becomes possible. That's very interesting because I do find that you know, some people I see as they run and they're a little scrunched up in the face and others are very relaxed. Their faces are very relaxed. So I'm wondering, that's probably the differentiator right. is somebody has taken themselves into sort of a meditation. That's so interesting. So I wanted to ask you, Warren, uh, I want to talk more about the analyst training program, but I think at its heart is depth psychology and You know, there are a lot of different schools of thought about psychoanalytic work, but I think uh, Carl Jung was very specific about the kind of work that he found to be useful and successful with his patients and adherence to that Mm -hmm. um, school of thought. 
believe in depth psychology. So let's start there. Tell me, first of all, what it means. Um, there are people listening to this who know what it means, but there are people, we, we have listeners from all over. So talk a little bit about depth psychology and, and what it means to a, to a patient. Analysand, I should say. But it, <clears throat> it depends. Um, broadly speaking, there are two groups of individuals that come to analysis. The first is um, an individual who may have heard something about Jung or analytical psychology, saw a lecture, read an article or, or something and, and became, it piqued their interest and uh, they want to look uh, further. The second group is um, an individual who's had an experience of the psyche and um, has not found any place, any institution in which uh, to make sense of that experience. And they come to analysis um, as a, uh, an environment that will honor that experience and help them to, to grow into that. And so uh, is that to say then that uh, for either one of those analysands, what they're really coming to the table with when they enter into analysis is a yearning for something. A yearning to be understood, a yearning to, to, to develop something from a, a, a going deeper process. It, is, is that how I should understand it? Indeed. It, it's um, always a search for meaning. Jung defined the symbol as the best possible explanation for what is as yet not understood. A, a, a very fancy way of saying that the symbol is always a half a step ahead. And so the, um, at its best, analysis teaches a discipline of staying with the symbol and letting it unfold because as soon as it unfolds, then it moves a half a step ahead again and then a half a step ahead. And it's, it's developing the relationship with the symbol, whether it's from a dream, whether it's from active imagination, whether it's from um, the, the car ride home, from work, um, uh, wherever the symbol appears, it's at its best is uh, fostering a discipline to stay with the, the, the symbol. I see. So... <clears throat> Our symbols are drawn from our dreams all the time. I think everyone has that experience. Um, I'm fascinated about this business of the car ride home. You know, when, when one's mind is somewhat at peace and, you know, you might be on automatic pilot. <clears throat> Tell me more about how those symbols appear and, and when a person should know to, to pay attention to it. I don't think all of us are as tuned in as we should be. So I'm curious about this. But Jung says, he, he defines um, in the visions uh, seminars, um, uh, paraphrasing slightly, he says that the unconscious is that which affects me immediately, every day. Um, which is to say that the, the unconscious is not a static noun that's over there. The unconscious is immediately and omnipresent. And um, it, therefore, it invites a, a whole different 
relationship to the psyche. In other words, the, the unconscious isn't just that which happens to us from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. when we wake up and we come out of the unconscious. Uh, the unconscious is, is with us 24 hours. And so um, it's then uh, I said, you know, a, a patient uh, disciplined to stay with the symbol. Um, equally, it's um, having a relationship with that symbol throughout the 24 hours of the day. So now we've talked about how uh, a patient and an analysand would, you know, turn to depth psychology. Uh, and you broke that down into two types, which was really helpful. Now I'm curious about the other side of the coin. So mm -hmm. what makes someone who, you know, might have training as a counselor, or they might, you know, have training as a, in, in just in psychology, and now they want to take their training to another level. So what kind of person shows up? When does when does the, the message seem to arrive? Is there any consistency in why someone turns to the analysis training program at the Young Institute in Chicago? I maintain that um, analysts are born, which is to say, um, uh, we don't train analysts. Uh, there's not a, a prescription that says do this, this, and this, and stir, and you get analyst. On the contrary, it's my uh, belief that um, an analyst is born, and therefore the, the, the best that we can do is to create uh, and foster an environment in which we uh, assist the self, capital S, in realizing its fullest potential. Um, and, <clears throat> uh, the uh, analyst training program, whether it's Chicago or New York or Zurich or anywhere, is the most comprehensive training for uh, a psychotherapist worldwide. So it, it requires um, uh, a great deal of discipline and uh, deep relationship with the self. It's an eight-year program, isn't it? Um, well, technically, mm -hmm. um, a person could finish in four years, uh, unlikely, um, because of- Good to know, right? Right, right. Uh, unlikely because um, all that it requires of a person, um, emotionally, psychologically, um, physically, uh, uh, financially, um, so forth. Um, and it's uh, equally uh, likely to take longer because there's a close study of the unfolding of the self. And so um, uh, I think probably the average is six to seven years. That's and a big commitment. Well, it is. And that should be also understood that that comes on the heels of a graduate education. Right. So at a minimum, the person has been at um, graduate, postgraduate study for up to a decade. So 
with this kind of commitment in mind, talk to me about the graduates. Talk to me about the people who go through the program. And you went through the program yourself uh, several years ago. And so now that you've had all this practice, you know, you can speak from your own experience, but you can also speak from the experience of the people who have gone through the program in the Institute. How does it mark a person to, to have that experience, make that commitment, develop that discipline? How does it change the way they practice? Well, I can just say for myself, um, I mean, the, um, it, it's, it's, I'm finding it hard to even put into words. My, um, I mean, my experiences um, in training and then after training, um, the dreams that I've had um, have taken me around the world many times. <laughs> um, so it truly is a journey from beginning, middle oh, to the end. Indeed. I've uh, found myself um, as a consequence of following the dreams um, in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, uh, working with a uh, Peruvian shaman. I found myself in uh, Kyoto, Japan, delivering a paper at the uh, International Congress. I found myself in uh, Kuznacht. Uh, um, I found myself in Bollingen and going through the tower, Jung's uh, tower. Um, and I've uh, had the great fortune of working with many rich, uh, wonderful analysants that have, um, uh, you know, uh, deepen the work. So it's, um, it's, it's uh, life changing, life enriching. I, I can't imagine. Um, I should say that um, I, I joked in my book uh, that I've been at this for some time. Um, <clears throat> my last name, Sibylla, um, comes from the Italian Sibyl. And the Sibyls were women who were diviners who told uh, the future and interpreted dreams and were so important that Mickey, uh, Michelangelo painted uh, two in the corners of the Sistine Chapel. So um, <laughs> I, I don't know that it would be possible for me to do anything else, frankly. Um, you were born to do this work. I was. Yes. Um, and, that has and to that be a is, wonderful feeling. <laughs> Well, that's the nature of the that's the nature of the self, though it it, it unfolds if you um, are are patient and take the time and uh, create a space for it. Uh, then it unfolds. So it's sounding like an experience like the ATP, the Analysis Training Program, is a it's an it's initiating something in your life. It's initiatory, as we would say. Um, oh. You're not sure what you're initiating. That's yet to unfold. But... Right. Imagine the amount of trust that that takes. Yes, it's uh, initiatory with a capital I. <laughs> so how is that, that trust that someone invests as well as their resources and their time? How is that trust met on the other end 
by the program? What does the program do to support someone who's going through the, the training? Emotionally, well, professionally? Well, I, I would say uh, a few things. One, um, there is the personal analysis and um, our institute, like many, not all, um, but like many, um, the analysis is a, a sacred container, which is to say um, there's no communication between analyst and the ATP, except to acknowledge the person has uh, attended this many hours. That's a, that's a sacred, separate uh, space. And so that holds the candidate. Um, they have their uh, case consultation, and then uh, later that matures into um, control supervision. Um, that differs from analysis because there is a report. Um, but nonetheless, that, that holds the person. And then we have um, some incredibly gifted, uh, uh, rich, and uh, wonderful teaching analysts that uh, essentially volunteer their time. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, going through the analyst training program is, is hard enough. Um, teaching young is, is no small feat. <laughs> um, and these uh, candidates are um, incredibly uh, intelligent, well-read, um, well motivated. So th this is this is a this is a tall task to step up and teach. Nonetheless, the teaching analysts are in, just otherworldly, in, incredible. Um, and so, uh, and then finally, you have the relationship with the self um, that has that is you're initiated into, and uh, and that uh, holds you. That's a lifelong relationship. <laughs> yeah, I understand. So Warren, now I'm curious about your moment, your moment when you decided it's time to step into something richer, deeper, um, more deeply committed. What, what was that moment for you when you decided to seek analyst training in the Jungian tradition? Well, I remember it very distinctly, and I uh, uh, wrote about it in my book. Um, the second year of my undergraduate, when I started taking courses, uh, you know, got the prerequisites out of the way the first year, and then started taking courses in psychology. And second course I took was a course on personality theory. And the first week, they introduced the class and talked about uh, Freud. The second week, they talked about Jung. And I just remember that, um, I, I mean, I completely disassociated. I went somewhere. Uh, I, it, just, it just made such complete sense to me. And I was still kind of daydreaming, caught uh, when the lecture ended. And the professor came over and said something. And I just said, that was incredible. I had never heard anything like that before. And he said, well, maybe you want to join the Friends of Jung 
group here down the road, they have wine and cheese on Sunday afternoons and bring in an analyst and they talk about, yeah, yeah I think you could probably be a student member. So I did. <laughs> and uh, Robert Moore was the first presenter and that was when he was still working out the lectures on his book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, I believe is the title. And I realized from that point forward, this is what I'm, this is what I'm gonna do. And I talked to my undergraduate advisor and he said, okay, good plan. Uh, I agree with you, but you need to get your PhD first. After that, uh, I'm fully supportive of, of this. And I, it's a wonderful advice. I treasured that to this day. And that's what I did. It's interesting. We had on the podcast earlier this week, Elizabeth Lesser, who was one of the co-founders of the Omega Institute. Huh. And one of the reasons she was eager to come and join us to um, chat about her most recent book was because when she was founding, co-founding the Omega Institute, many of her best workshop leaders were Jungians. Huh. And she felt a debt of gratitude to Carl Jung and the Institutes because uh, they, the Jungians had been so generous with their wisdom in those early days. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another, having studied um, in the JSP program with you, in fact, I think that's one of my big takeaways about the cohort that the Institute gathers. You know, the type of person that comes into that institution to do more learning is that my experience was a certain kind of person. Mm -hmm. They were deep, they were thoughtful, they were caring, mm -hmm. they were generous with their wisdom and their time and their listening. And I mean, it really is as, as a cohort goes, it was one of the best collegial experiences I've ever had in my professional life. And, and so I'm only imagining that's times 10 in the ATP because it's a longer period and it's a deeper commitment. Is it, do I have that right? Yes, indeed. And it fosters a deep sense of gratitude. And the, um, I think the quintessential example of that is the degree to which um, all of these uh, senior analysts continue to, to give back, to volunteer, to teach, to lead, um, and to continue the whole project forward. I think that's what makes that whole world go round in 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 Jungland. You know, if there is such a in the realm of people who are adherents and and believers in the work of Carl Jung and the, and his worldview, I think it's very true that mm -hmm. you know it's a it's a deep commitment that one gets brought into, and I'm. Pretty sure you must be very excited about the next session. And I wonder, you know, as you take the helm of that, everybody brings something different to it. What are you looking forward to bringing to the program as you enter the directorship? Well, the first thing I have to say is, um, you know, on the shoulders of giants. Um, I, I, you know, wonderful, um, talented uh, individuals who've had the helm uh, prior to me. So hats off and um, what I hope to bring um, uh, a 
a continuing commitment to um, the rigorous uh, curriculum, um, an enormous, enormous amount of time uh, over the years has been spent on the curriculum. And it is by far the most thoughtful, uh, comprehensive uh, curriculum. And we continue, I mean, in the training committee meetings, continue to think about and, and talk about you know, what are we getting right? What are we not getting right? What do we need to improve? What, what do we need to be reading? Um, who do we need to be bringing in? What's, what's gonna be most useful? Um, so I, I hope to be able to continue all of that. And um, I hope to continue to foster a, a deep relationship with the self and the, and the dream. Wonderful. So, how many students do you limit this to? Let me talk just about some, you know, mechanics here for anybody who's listening out here and is saying, oh, this sounds like it, this is for me. This is their moment, right? <laughs> when they're saying, this is for me. So what can they expect in terms of how many students they'll be in the, in the course with? How many, what's the, how, how does the curriculum unfold? Can we talk a little bit about those things? Sure. We, <clears throat> the um, incoming uh, cohort um, always varies from um, uh, as little as, as one or two um, to, for instance, this incoming cohort, we have 10. <clears throat> um, and that, that necessarily ebbs and flows. Um, I would say on average, usually there's three to four to five. Um, the way and the, the way that the program unfolds, you start. Um, uh, there's a series of interviews. Everything is done um, by way of committee and interviews. So there would be a series of interviews um, determining by the admissions committee determining if you're uh, a good fit, um, assuming that the person um, is a good fit and they are brought in. <coughs> They start as a matriculated auditor. Um, what does that mean, a matriculated auditor? Well, we're using a lot of terms that, that today might seem antiquated. Um, for example, propedoidicum, a, a Greek wow. word. Wow. <laughs> um, Bless you. <laughs> uh, and because that's what the original Young Institute used. So many of these are being carried over. Matriculated auditor means um, it's a year of um, feeling one another out. Mm. Person gets to have the full experience of the program. The program gets to have the full experience of the person. Um, and at the end of that year, there's a, a decision on both sides. Is this a goodness of fit? Is it fit? Is it what you want? Um, assuming that it is, they're moved into uh, candidacy stage. Um, and they remain in the candidacy stage until they take uh, the propedoidicum, um, a series of uh, exams, uh, both written and oral, um, that covers um, the breadth of uh, the practice of analytical psychology. Um, and uh, it's, it's necessary to to pass that, to move to the next stage, which is the control stage. Um, and that's where your work 
uh, with your uh, analysis deepens, you, your work uh, supervision moves from case consultation to control supervision. It becomes another uh, forum of analysis. And the transference, counter-transference dynamics are especially studied. Um, uh, and the control stage uh, culminates in um, the final exams, which are uh, a written thesis, which is defended, and uh, your control stage cases uh, being presented. Typically, there are two, um, and you're, uh, you, they're written up uh, extensively, and you present those cases and defend your work. Um, and as I said earlier, typically for most individuals, I think the average is about six to seven years uh, to, to go through that. It sounds very rigorous, but it also sounds like it's a deep dive into yourself, into your own understanding of the self. And so um, I, I can only imagine that it's a great unfolding from within that people experience at the same time. Is there a way that people find themselves capturing that or expressing that near the end of the program? Oh, certainly. Um, but, but we should be clear um, that uh, the journey includes uh, the darkness as well as the light. Um, so as not to over romanticize uh, it, they're very tough moments, um, necessarily so. Um, and I've maintained, I've said many times that I learned, however difficult, far, far more from being told no than I did from being told yes. <laughs> For example, failing an exam. Um, um, and uh, although not uh, pleasant in the moment, um, in hindsight, um, it certainly was necessary. And, um, and, you know, having to go back and retrace steps and pick up the pieces and, um, and, and go forward. Um, it's not uncommon that a person would take a leave of absence, um, take a step, uh, and, and it is just one step out. It's not two steps out. They're still connected with the program, but um, they're, they're taking a step out. They're gathering their breadth. Uh, they're picking up the pieces. They're sorting things out, finding the uh, right path, um, recalibrating, recalculating, and then uh, getting back up on the horse and, and going. Um, so uh, it, it is uh, rigorous. It is tough. And Yes, there's an incredible celebration at the end. Um, uh, the, uh, you know, many, if not most of the theses that are, are written are, are incredibly rich and uh, celebrate that journey. So in other words, be prepared to unzip your long bag of shadow that Robert Bly talked about in his little book on the shadow. Yes. Right. Listen, Warren, I... I want to ask you, because I ask everyone who comes on the podcast this question, what's next for Warren Sevilla? What are you working on now that you're excited about? 
Well, the first answer always is, I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> who knows what self has in store? Um, a few things. I'm uh, both my wife and I are very interested in our uh, rose garden and uh, take delight in sitting out in the evening and uh, working with our roses and our fostered dogs. Um, I am uh, remain uh, invested, put a lot of energy into my um, athletic training. Um, fortunate this year to have um, qualified for the national championships in California for um, Spartan uh, obstacle course racing. Um, uh, and also uh, finished second in a DecaFit uh, uh, competition in Illinois and uh, will likely qualify for their uh, championships. Um, so I try to stay busy, try to stay active. I'd say so. I'd um, say so. And I'm wondering, now you have me really curious as we wrap up. Are you one of those guys who buries their rose bushes in the winter so that they don't freeze too much? No. Okay, good. <laughs> no, it, it, actually, it's a, it's a, um, it's also a kind of meditation and studying um, <clears throat> from the depth of winter where you can almost be certain that the plant has died, the bush has died, and then slowly it greens in the spring and then it comes to life in the summer and then all uh, folds and uh, withers into the fall. Well, Warren, it's been a pleasure and let many flowers bloom in your life. Wonderful. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker, but please do not change it or sell it. If you like this episode, tell your friends about us or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about classes, training programs, videos, audio, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, www.youngchicago.org. Thank you to our 2020 donors who gave at the contributing member level and above. Farah Anan, Usha and Ashok Beatty, Jackie Cabe Bryan, Eric Cooper and Judith Cooper, Kevin Davis, George J. Didier, Mary Doherty, James Fidelibus, John Korolewski, Marty Manning, Diane Sherwood, Deborah P. Stutzman, Deborah Tobin, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Kopp, Gerald Weiner, Karen West and James Taylor, and Ellen Young. If you would like to join our generous community of supporters, just go to youngchicago.org slash give.